It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Hope that you're having a great Wednesday. Yes, it is Wednesday here on the Team 980. Uh, Anthony Haney alongside for one more day before before he's out on a trip. Yes, this today is my Friday. I will be gone for the, the next two days. Or the next... Three days, because Monday we're off too. That's true. Yeah, Monday we're off. Uh, not only is it MLK Day, so we'd be off for the holiday, uh, of course, honoring uh, Martin Luther King, but uh, we also have Wizards basketball during that time slot. The Wizards playing their traditional afternoon game, so there's no room for our show anyway. Um, so we'll be back on Tuesday, and maybe we'll have someone in the front office for the Washington Commanders. I tend oh to think gosh, that. Oh my gosh, Greg! That could that could be the case. I think it could happen by the end of the week, bro. Speaking into existence, then, Craig. I think it could happen by the end of the week. There it is. It's going to happen then. Uh, so that's that's something we'll obviously be monitoring here on the show. Uh, but we're also taking a look at the head coaching carousel, and as it turns, uh, asking a question: Is Washington still the top job on the market? Because the market suddenly, Anthony, looks very different than we thought it would going it was going to look like. Atlanta available. Chicago, not. And then today, bombshell out of nowhere, uh, an hour and a half ago or so, Seattle moving on from Pete Carroll. He'll move into an advisor role. Carroll is in his 70s, which sometimes people forget uh, because he's so energetic and he's out there running around. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that he took his shirt off in DK Metcalf's draft interview. That's a real thing that happened. Um, DK showed up shirtless, so Pete was like, hey, I'll match your energy. Um, but Pete's, you know, he's in his seventies and, uh, the Seahawks, I think we're at a point, uh, clearly is an organization where they, uh, they were ready to go in a different direction. I don't know. That's the smartest thing they've ever done, but sometimes that's kind of stuff happens. And they've also got a weird ownership situation because we know that Paul Allen's trust is currently like watching over that team. Jody Allen, uh, I believe his widowed wife is the one who is, is actually in charge, but, um, I think that they'll sell. Like, they're the next team that will sell, which is a lot, why a lot of people think Bezos pulled out here is because he'll just buy the Seahawks, and um, it'll probably cost him less than what it was going to cost him here. Um, and that's really his hometown team, even though he has strong D.C. ties, Washington Post, uh, Amazon opening up here, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, I'm, we're going to do this tomorrow on Take Command. I'm going to do this with Logan in, like, a full rubric. We're going to do the math. Uh, version of this, Anthony, where we're going to rate every situation one through five in like five different categories. But just kind of more broadly, if I say these names, let's 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 hit the highlights, right? Washington, three top 40 picks, uh, somewhere between 75 and $90 million, let's call it, in cap space. Uh, you write down on the rundown, 86. Where did you get that number from? Uh, I checked that from... I, it was track two- maybe? Yeah, I think it was on Spotrack. Okay, over the cap, I think, has it at 78. Oh. Um, So, like, but the thing is, like, some of those sites are anticipating certain cuts or whatever. So, like, it's possible the commanders, if they really get aggressive, could have, like, 100 million in cap space. So, they've got more cap space than anybody. They've got more resources than anybody else. Um, Titans, 77 million in cap space. They have the number seven pick. Uh, you're probably looking at Derrick Henry leaving, uh, a couple big names on defense still around, young quarterback in Levis. Um, Washington blank slated quarterback. Atlanta, terrible division, 
Uh, they are definitively, it seems, a quarterback away. They have the number eight pick in a draft where there are some quarterbacks, and they have $38 million in cap space. Um, I would say the problems there are your roster's built. Well, actually, I don't even know because like your roster's kind of built a very specific way. Your offensive line is built in a very, very specific way. Um, your offensive line is built to run outside zone and a lot of zone read and things like that. Um, can they hold up in pass protection? We'll see, but they got a bunch of really good players. Uh, then you got the Panthers. Uh, you have a terrible owner. You have a young team. They have about two and a half good players. Like Derek Brown's awesome. Brian Burns is a free agent. Is Brown a free agent? Nah, Brown isn't. I know Burns is set to be. Yeah, though, Burns so. is set to be a free agent. Um, you do have your young quarterback in Bryce Young, which could be a positive or a negative, thinking on what, what you thought of him. I would certainly look at Young as almost like, what did I think of him coming out? Um, maybe I, I take in some consideration this year what he did, but it, the, the year was so tumultuous. I'm not going to read too much into it. Um, Raiders, they have $55 million in cap space. Number 13 pick. They have a huge question at uh, quarterback. Josh Jacobs uh, and Devontae Adams, two stars with with contracts that you can move slash you got to figure out. Um, and by the way, the team really wants the Antonio Pierce. So if you don't come in and bring the right energy, they're going to be pissed. Uh, Chargers, two first rounders, but they are salary cap hell and their owner's not very good. And the... Uh oh, but you do have the young quarterback. So you've got you've got uh Justin Herbert. And then Seattle, you're in kind of a weak older and he's not that good, but he's not bad. So you're not dead at quarterback. You've got great receivers. You have uh really good defensive backfield and a bunch of other studs on defense. Um your O line's been a kind of a mess for a long time. Uh, and you're having to be the guy who follows the guy. You're following a Super Bowl champion. Um, they have a middle of the first round pick, um, and then I don't actually don't know their cap situation, but they also have no second round pick. So Seattle to me is like an interesting job. Your own, and by the way, your ownership situation is in extreme flux because the team's likely to be sold within the next couple of years. So I don't think that's a phenomenal situation but it's also not a bad one also Seattle has told their other coaches you're free to look for other jobs but if you want to you can just say say like hey Shane Waldron we're going to keep you and Waldron might get a look at head coach there obviously their number one candidate seems to be Dan Quinn who was the DC when they won the Super Bowl with Pete all the way back in 2013 I think it was 2014 whatever it was that they won that Super Bowl with the Legion of Boom. So, those are the openings. Which ones would you put above Washington? 301-230-0980. 301-230-0980. We'll rank them next here on the Hoffman Show. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. And we're streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980 Almost at a thousand subscribers. So if uh, you're not subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? Go ahead, do that uh, on YouTube at the Team 980. We're taking your calls on the Ace Law listener line at 301 230 0980. If you're in a wreck, Ace Law helps you get a check. Call 8888 Ace Law. 
The question we are asking you on the phones is, is the commander's job the best one on the market? The market looks very different than we thought it would. You got the Chargers, that was expected, but you got teams like the Falcons and the Seahawks all of a sudden that are not expected or were not expected. So how does that change the market? And then, I mean, there's also the reality that there's some coaches, you know, with, for instance, Tennessee on the market. I don't think anyone looks at Tennessee and is like, that's a better job than Washington. But Mike Vrabel affects the market. Um, so that that certainly is something to consider as well. All right, let's go to the phones. Uh, again, 301-230-0980. Our guy Lap uh, has a thought. Lap, thanks for calling. You are on the Hoffman Show. Hey, what's up, Craig? Hey, man. Um, I think I missed you last week, so my bad about that. Hey, um, I, I think Washington will be number one, man. I mean, this is a transient area. We got a lot of people coming in and out of here. Moving to this area, it'll be a prime destination. I know that the Chargers, uh, coaching vacancy would definitely be intriguing. I wouldn't want to be in Atlanta, Carolina, uh, Arizona, or Tennessee, for real, to be honest. Uh, maybe I'm a little biased, but uh, I think this would be a good spot. And then um, let me ask you this, Craig. Do you think if the opportunity presents itself – uh, would you go after Justin Fields if, if we had an opportunity? No. Nope. What about uh, Kyler Murray? Or no. No, not interested in either. I don't. Not that I don't think either isn't a good player. Um, not that either isn't intriguing in certain spots. I think it's a bad fit here. You've got in Kyler's case someone who's already been paid a lot of money that you would then have to take on that contract, and you would have to pay him bukus of money uh, over the next couple of years while you're trying to build the roster, which is not ideal. Uh, you want the quarterback to get paid when you're ready to compete right now. And fields is about to be, have to, uh, paid a bunch of money. So I think you're better. Like if you're looking at two guys that haven't proven that they're like definitely the man, like definitely a franchise quarterback where there's still questions, or you could draft someone where you got five years of a cheap contract, relatively speaking to find out, I'd rather draft someone. So would you go? Would you go that route, Craig, to go draft somebody? Uh, because it, it, then it's, it's saying to the fans and everybody, you know, that we're starting over, that we're building. You know what I'm saying? But and like then, Houston built what, it what's in gonna a happen with, instantly. Well, well, I'm saying what, what's going to happen with guys like Payne and Allen and Terry? You know what I'm saying? Like they are a part of the I team. They play. Like it's not. It doesn't have to be more complicated than it is. Like, thanks for the call, Lap. But like, yeah. I, I think, I think when you look at the teams that have built it, this is this would have been my question had I gotten a microphone the other day to Josh uh, to ask Josh Harris, um, or it was one of the questions I guess I was considering. He answered a similar one actually. So I, actually, let me let me quickly as I talk here pull up Harris on this uh, the other day. But basically. When you see teams like Philadelphia, right, who was good, had a core, got screwed up at quarterback with Wentz, and then rebuilt it around a young Jalen Hurts, it is worth remembering, this is Jalen Hurts' third year as a starter. Year two, he wins MVP, they go to the Super Bowl. Like Now, Jalen had obviously been around long enough that he's already got the contract extension now at this point, but like as a starter, this is his... I'm not, Anthony, I'm not off on that, right? This is his third year as a starter? Yeah, this is his third year. First year he was like seven and nine, I want to say he was, and then last year, and now this year. Yeah. 
So you can you can rebuild it pretty fast. They were they were there in year two. CJ Stroud, I mean, the Texans were supposed to be awful this year. And they're in the playoffs. The Colts barely missed the playoffs. Um, and they've been, you know, up and down. They're the number five pick last year, and that guy missed most of the season. So I think it's it's like worth pointing out that drafting a young quarterback and like rebuilding doesn't have to be this like essentially what Ron Rivera said three to five year project. So Terry and and John like they're gonna show up and they're gonna try to win games next year. And I don't think depending on who they coach, draft, and sign in free agency that they can't win a bunch of them. It's going to depend on how good the quarterback is for sure. But this roster, I will maintain until I'm sitting in this chair a year from now after another four-win season, I will maintain that this roster is not as devoid of talent as the coaching staff here made it seem. Um, As for Harris and his timeline for a rebuild, here was the commander's managing partner on Monday. Yeah, listen, um, this was not a fun season for the ownership group. I mean, we're, we're right there with the fans in terms of uh, sweating every loss. Uh, and so, I mean, obviously, if we could write the script, it would be a quick turnaround. But on the other hand, um, you have to make long-term decisions uh, and do things in a very, you know, one person at a time, one athlete at a time. And so sometimes they take longer, right? So I think what my, my view is that we want it to be as quick as we can, but the ultimate goal, right, is to be an elite team that's competing for championships. And so um, when you do, I find that when you do things quickly, uh, you, you know, sometimes, you know, you set yourself back. And so the, my orientation is to do, make the right decisions and uh, let the time frame, you know, take its own course. Uh, I mean, obviously, I, I want a winning franchise quickly. But on the other hand, I, you know, for me, it's about making the right decisions. Here's the thing. And Josh Harris would admit this if he was not answering questions one minute at a time at a press conference. Sometimes those two things can happen together. And again, I will use the Texans as an example. They didn't do, I mean, I guess they did something a little crazy, right? They, they went up and not only drafted one guy in the top three, they drafted two. They were willing to give up a future one to do it when it looked like they were going to be terrible. Arizona thought, like, we might have, we are we know we're going to suck this year. So were they. We might pick one, two in the draft next year. Turns out the Bears uh, actually made the trade that gets them the number one pick in the draft by trading number one last year. But the Texans knew, like, they liked Stroud. That was their guy. We can't pass up the quarterback. But they also knew Will Anderson was their D'Amico Ryans. He was D'Amico Ryan's version of himself, a leader that is a culture setter for your organization. And by the way, he's also a very good football player. And so they quickly grabbed those two guys. They were super smart with some later picks. A guy like Tank Dell was incredible for them as a rookie. They make a couple of smart signings, and they're in the playoffs, hosting a playoff game. They didn't do anything. They didn't try to shortcut it. They didn't do anything. In fact, going into the season, most people, myself included, thought they'd be terrible. Hey, it's just not a good roster. It's fine. They're, I like what they're they're starting to build. I like some of the the types of guys they're bringing in. But this is not, they're not going to get there quickly. Whoops, wrong on that one. And who knows? Maybe a year from now they take a step back. Sometimes that happens.
We've seen coaches here win a division ahead of schedule and then take steps back, and by year five, they're gone. Um, but but maybe not. Maybe this is being built in a more sustainable way, and it certainly feels that way because uh, if they took a gigantic step back, it'd be because C.J. Stroud regressed, and unless he's about to pull, you know, I hate to say it, but like an RG3 type of situation, that's unlikely, and style of play-wise, that seems really unlikely. Long story short, if Washington is smart with this number two pick, and smart could mean any number of things, it could be like Houston nailing a quarterback. It could be like Houston turning it into multiple picks. Do they trade back? And, you know, I saw like some crazy scenario today where it's like, does Atlanta or does Washington trade fields to, or Chicago trade fields to Washington who then trades him to Atlanta? And it's this three team deal where Washington winds up with two top 10 picks, trading back a little bit. Uh, but they get two top 10 picks in a, in a future second and this year's second and all this stuff. I was like, I don't know, maybe. Seems highly unlikely to me. But like something like that, where you trade back and you get a ton of assets. Like there are ways to do this. They have good options. And you're in a quarterback rich draft, which is always a great place to have options. So this is why I think Washington I also saw another chart today, by the way, as we get back to kind of the original point here in terms of is Washington the top job on the market? Um, I saw a chart today that that graded out draft capital, uh, free agent capital, uh, et cetera, and Washington, by this metric, had the most in terms of resources. So this is definitely going to be an appealing place. And then it comes down to you go from the player personnel side to the system. What is being run here, and how does it fit with the players? Do you operate an ecosystem where you get the most out of players and that you protect your weaknesses and accentuate your strengths. This is where schematics matter. And that's going to be a huge question that the head coach has to answer. It's something they failed at miserably the entire last four years. It's something that frankly kept some under talented teams, I think afloat during the Gruden era because Jay could win with the pen sometimes, uh, but they screwed up a bunch of other stuff because, you know, Bruce Allen was running the team and lo and behold, they were pretty mediocre. Uh, so that's where we are on as of 426 uh, on on Wednesday, January 10th. And who knows, by this time on Friday, maybe we'll have a, a front office person who we understand a little bit more to, to guide this vision. Uh, to talk about the lead candidate for that, Bonte Hill will join us coming up at 5 o'clock, our buddy from 95.7 The Game. Out in San Francisco, he's also going to have to answer for telling us that Jordan Poole will be good. So we'll get to that coming up at 5 o'clock, but we didn't talk to Michael Phillips yet this week. So let's talk to Michael Phillips. We'll do that next here on the Hoffman Show. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app, streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980. Uh, And of course, on that free Odyssey app, you can also listen to our sister station down in Richmond, 910 The Fan. 10 a.m. to noon every day, you find Michael Phillips, uh, who who has found himself still at the radio station. Uh, there he is. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, radio microphone in front of him and everything. Uh, Michael, uh, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show on Not a Monday. It's a big day at Odyssey Richmond. We're having our strategy meeting for the year. Uh, my, oh. stra- my strategy is to continue to wing it. Um, apparently, some people do prefer uh, a, a more cohesive strategy. So we'll, uh, we'll see if we can't come up with something that works for everybody. 
Mm. We do, we use uh, a lot of Google documents. Uh, we have like a, a rundown mm. document. We have a Google sheet that's more topical and allows us to plan both vertically and horizontally. Now we're very inside baseball or inside radio, but that's fine. Uh, just, I, I do find that doing a daily show, that's something I learned very quickly, the vertical uh, within the day and horizontal out through the weeks planning good strategy. Yeah. Good. Cause the, the day's, add up on you. They sneak up on you. Um, we also have something called Odyssey Points. I don't know if you have Odyssey Points. I think you, I've gotten one or two. I don't know what, what they're good for, but you, I, you can redeem them for like coasters and backpacks and stuff. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's, uh, I, I don't know if that's common in your world, but we, you know, we dap each other up with the Odyssey Points here. Nice. That's that good strategy. Collect the Odyssey Points. <laughs> uh, DA used to have a bit on his show when he was on CBS about Odyssey Coins. I don't know what that was all about. Anyway, uh, speaking of speaking of days sneaking up on you, uh, it's already it's already January tenth, yeah, and uh, that's crazy. Uh, we're gonna be in the middle of January soon, and all of a sudden next week at some point, I'm thinking we might have a front office executive. Five interviews uh, in the first two days, basically of the off season. I guess Monday doesn't count. Uh, that's day zero, but day one, day two of the off season. Uh, they got five interviews, including Adam Peters in San Francisco. I know when we talked, uh, what was it about? nine days ago, um, whatever that was, uh, the, the Tuesday after the season, we both thought Peters would stay in San Francisco as you're yep. following this, uh, as a beat reporter as well, of course, for the Washington times, like, what are you hearing about the, the really, or the realistic possibility that they could actually land Adam Peters? Yeah. Dude's got ties to Bob Myers. Uh, he flew from San Francisco to Miami uh, on, uh, I guess it was Tuesday night to meet with Josh Harris, uh, all signs positive here, right? He he's, um, I love that Josh Harris, too, isn't just like, oh, can we get him? Let's get him, but is going to complete the process, is going to talk to everybody else, is going to do all these other interviews. That's valuable for him as a guy new to the NFL to hear visions, to hear ideas, uh, to kick the tires on everybody else as well. So I, I think that's very important uh, that he uses this as a fact-finding process as well as a GM finding process. Um, but I, I think if Adam Peters is interested, you have to install him as the favorite here. Uh, what they've built in San Francisco speaks for itself. Uh, his track record speaks for itself. Uh, obviously, uh, some other really good candidates uh, that they're interviewing as well. But I think Adam Peters jumps to the top of that pile for sure. And my question then becomes like, is he the only one they hire out of this pile? Um, because, you know, Peters, you're going to have to obviously at least make the GM, which is what they want to do anyway. But he could probably become the GM in San Francisco. Like he might involve a fancier title now that John Lynch has been promoted and they've created some space there. Like what kind of structure do you think we could be looking at and how high could they put Peters on that totem pole? Yeah, vice president, executive vice president, you know, football operations, things of that nature. I do think, right, so set aside Harbaugh, he's his own category. Basically, any other coach we're talking about here is going to answer to this guy. So I, I, you, can, you can create a title like that, have him over everything, get another, quote, general manager into the building, uh, get, get two people. Now, I'm always weary of too many cooks in the kitchen, particularly – Given the sensitivities of this, what you walk into here, you got all the money to spend. You got a number two draft pick. You got a lot of options uh, that can create a lot of issues as well, right? Uh, it's not your scouting team making that pick. Uh, it's information you're coming in with and you're trying to figure out these relationships and trying to figure out how you build the future of the team and, and make really important like five and 10 year decisions. Uh, it's it's a tricky offseason. It's going to be tricky for Josh Harris to navigate. I do love, it seems like the general manager search is going to wrap up 
quickly, which I love because these head coaching candidates, the ones coaching this week, they're eligible for interview, virtual interviews next week, gets that person in the room, in the call when that happens, which I love. Uh, Michael Phillips, of course, the Washington Times and 910 The Fan in Richmond. What, like when you say quickly, like, do you have a sense of just how quickly? I I think it could be by the end of the week for sure. And wow. now some of this will depend on the team they're hiring from if they want to let that, because the rule is, of course, they can hang on to that person through the end of their postseason run if they want to. That that does apply across the board in the NFL, um, that they, they are allowed to say, you can go in February. Um, but as we've seen, of course, you make a behind the scenes hire, that person can be on the phone with you. It was, you know, the Jonathan Gannon thing where that got a little, little touchy there, obviously, where he was spending a Super Bowl week lining up his staff, uh, but it's certainly not unheard of. Um, so what, are there any differences rule-wise for front office versus head coach? Because the coaching stuff is like very clear, like, hey, you're, you're with your, your 2023 team until the 20, your 2023 season is over. But like an assistant GM, I don't know how much they're actually doing to prepare for a, a playoff game. So for yeah. Adam Peters or for Alec Hallaby, uh, if, if they go that direction in Philadelphia or whoever, you know, obviously like an Ian Cunningham, he's available. The Bears are done. Uh, but if, if it is Peters, Hallaby, et cetera, like they can come right away, can't they? I, th I think so. Um, I think if it's an assistant to full GM, that's the distinction, right? You can't poach a GM to GM. Uh, without the permission of the team. Uh, I think it's different when they're a rung lower, right? Same thing. You can go yeah. hire wide receivers coach to be your play caller and offensive coordinator. You can't hire offensive coordinator to offensive coordinator without checking in and, and going through all the steps. So I, I think that's why you're seeing the only one on the list that wasn't an assistant general manager by title uh, was in Dallas. Um, and that's obviously its own very wacky setup with Jerry Jones, of course. Um, but I, yeah. I think the majority of these talks are with assistant general managers. That's where you want to find the next generation of, of leaders from. Have we heard if Will McClay, uh, who you're talking about in Dallas, has actually accepted the interview uh, yet? I know there was a request put out. I have not. And I also think he may be subject to kind of the rules we're talking about here, where Dallas could dictate the terms of that and potentially refuse it until that virtual window opens next week, um, which would be tough, obviously. I don't know. Why they would do that, uh, other than just competitive keeping your guy reasons, uh, but I've not heard resolution on that now. Well, I would say they also don't want to lose Will McClay in Dallas. I, I remember when I was working in Dallas a decade ago, like Will McClay's name came up every year because everyone's like, this guy's the best kept secret in football. And the thing is about secrets in football is there are none. Um, like people, people know that Will McClay runs that scouting department, and while Jerry Jones is the GM, and Jerry's certainly got thoughts, like Will McClay's in charge. And yeah. so, so people know that, uh, and, and they've been able to keep him cause I think they pay him a lot of money. It's like, Hey, Jerry will deal with the media stuff. He might occasionally cause you a headache in doing so, but we'll compensate you for it. Uh, and, and thus Will McClay has stayed in Dallas the entire time. There's also a nice cachet to working for the Cowboys, right? Telling your friends that and, you know, take them around the star. And, you know, you, if you get a ring in Dallas, like that, that counts double in, in the eyes of. You know, everybody else, it seems like, right? If you're quarterback for the Cowboys, you get to be on network TV. Those are the rules. I, I don't make them. It's just, it's the Cowboys world, man. Yeah, we're all just uh, living in it, trying to trying to beat them. As Josh Harris, love to remind everybody at the, at the initial press conference when we bought the team, there was a time there that was, was Washington. Uh, and, and obviously, like we saw, I mean, look, we saw Joe Theismann be the, the one of the analysts on Sunday Night Football forever. If they can turn this thing around, 
Um, you certainly have to think that uh, life would be good for for future Washington uh, commanders or or whatever they call them, as you asked Josh Harrison. He uh, distinctly did not say no to it. I didn't NHS hear no. the other day. I heard a lot yeah. of words. I didn't hear no. A lot of we got other stuff we're working on right now, but we might be onto something <laughs> there. Uh, Michael Phillips, nine ten fan. Continue. Yeah, down in Richmond to be continued. The theme of the week. All right, where are we at on head coaches? There's this. I don't know, like. The headline didn't match the story, in my opinion, uh, in ESPN.com today. Dan Graziano and Jeremy Fowler like doing their notebook every day. And the headline was like, Washington leaning defensive coach. And the paragraph really just said, there's more defensive coaches in the marketplace than there are offensive coaches. What are you hearing in terms of any direction on the head coaching side of things? Yeah, and you got to give credit to Josh Harrison team. They've been very good about keeping this process under wraps. Obviously, we all learned about Bob Myers at the same time. Oh, I did find it really funny, though. Um, I was listening to Zach Lowe's podcast on Tuesday, and he's like, I've heard this rumor for weeks. I'm like, of course you have. You don't work in the NFL. <laughs> um, and you also are a colleague of Bob Myers on ESPN. So your that's co-workers. cheating. Your coworkers. Yes. Yeah. That doesn't count at all. Yeah. No. But anyway, I just was like, oh, sure. You know about it, Zach Lowe. What about the rest of us out here in the real world? Anyway, continue. Yes, they kept exactly. that under wraps very well. Yeah, you know, there, uh, by my count, seven requests out, five of them are defensive coaches. Uh, I think I may have the exact numbers and ratio off. Um, you don't hire seven people, you hire one person. And so in the end, you either hire an offensive guy or a defensive guy. Uh, it doesn't matter how many of each side you interviewed. Uh, I do think it's interesting, right, like this whole wave of consensus for so long has been got to get an offensive guy, work with your quarterback, have that stability. I totally get that. Um, I think there are good options out there in terms of either veteran offensive coordinators or younger guys, you know, your Kellen Moores of the world um, who could get a play calling opportunity, uh, so to speak, in Washington, where it's not maybe necessarily like mission critical. Um, I think that, you know, I hate saying culture, Craig. Um, I, I just hate talking about culture. We've done it too much and it means nothing and it's an empty word. Um, I think for Josh Harris, you look at some of these defensive coaches that are being interviewed. They are guys who are renowned for setting a tone on their teams and setting an atmosphere on their teams. And I think Raheem Morris is one of those guys everybody you talk to loves playing for Raheem Morris, right? So yes, he's a defensive guy instead of an offensive guy. Yes, culture is an empty word and it's 2024 and we say it and it doesn't mean anything. But I think it's at least marginally important to Josh Harris that whoever he gets is not a genius, but a leader. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, I think he would like to get both. And from what I've heard, like Ben Johnson kind of fits that mold. Yeah. Um, and there's some other guys that are, I mean, Mike McDonald on the defensive side seems to fit that mold as well. Um, I don't know. I like the culture thing because I think that's been part of the problem here. Yeah. And, you know, when, when it's, when it's not present, or like the culture's bad and you're around it, it feels very stupid because everyone talks about it and you know they almost don't even realize how bad it is. But then when you see it at work when it's good, you're like, oh, I see how this works. And I do, like that's something that I think is going to be pretty fascinating for the new, um, the new regime on the personnel side, nevertheless, the head coach side. Like there's going to have to be cohesive uh, or cohesion and talking about this. But like when you hear... First, Jahan Dotson's comments, right, at the end of the regular season about how some of the veterans or some of the leaders, like, maybe are accepting losing. And then you hear, like, Logan Thomas and Charles Leno be like, yeah, we didn't really like Biennemi that much. Um, and we know that Biennemi was, like, really pushing. If there's not that buy-in from your key veterans, like, 
there could be some tough decisions to make. Like, you know, John Allen, when he was on with the junkies earlier this week, he's like, he was excited about what Josh Harris said. I think John would like to be here when push comes to shove, but like, do you want to be here? Or do you want to be here if things are going your way? And like, those are the kinds of things that I think, you know, February is kind of going to be spent talking about of which of these veterans, which of these leaders actually fits the new culture versus the need for a blank slate uh, on the leadership side as well. And then the need to turn over a lot of this roster, uh, you know, you're, you're looking at a big, big chunk of turnover coming uh, that maybe isn't necessarily the norm or, or, you know, even coaching change norm, right? Ron Rivera came in, he turned over the whole roster, brought in all his Carolina guys for this reason. It just didn't pan out at all. Right. And now you got to do the whole thing again. And you got to go through this whole process again. Uh, I think, I do think John Allen is maybe headed for the trade block just because the contract's so good. Um, you know, he's arguably underpaid for the next two years. This is probably the year where he would come in asking for an extension. Uh, I think that gives you an opportunity here to potentially deal him, potentially get value for him on the market. Um, but yeah, you mentioned it, right? So Eric Bieniemy is such a polarizing figure this year. And Eric Bieniemy is a polarizing figure, but also the, the veterans didn't come across well, right? They came across as I didn't want to work hard. Um, that, you know, and, and ultimately that was to Eric's detriment too, right? Reverse car wash in Ashburn. You come in clean, you leave dirty. It wasn't anything he did, but he comes he comes through Ashburn and, and he leaves. And all of a sudden, you know, he's got this tag on him that, that guy, you know, guys don't like him or don't like playing for him or whatever. Uh, when, it, you know, the environment was just as much of a contributing factor as it was Eric Bieniemy's coaching itself. Uh, that's why, right? I mean, you mentioned, obviously, you know, you need, a leader, you need, you know, somebody who can call the plays well. Um, but I, I just think the most important thing is somebody who's going to get everybody pulling the same way. Andy Reid runs a notoriously tough training camp. You never hear a peep about it out of there. Bill Belichick for many years ran notoriously tough practices. You never heard about it until they started losing. You need somebody who's going to instill that kind of atmosphere. But even then, like Josh McDaniels and Matt Patricia and a lot of these other New England uh, Belichick <laughs> acolytes tried to do that stuff elsewhere and it didn't work. And so I think that there is something to like, and there's a touch that Andy Reed has with it, a touch that Bill Belichick has with it. Um, and that there's like an air of toughness about it. And that's a word that we've kind of circled a lot uh, when Logan and I have talked about all this stuff is like, there's a toughness that works. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't work, it winds up being like bravado and machismo, which are not good things yes. um, versus toughness, which is a very good thing. Yeah. To toxic, right. It becomes a toxic culture. All of a sudden, if, if you don't, and that's, I mean, that's why Ben Johnson's going to be the, the star of the class, right? Everybody has spoken highly of him. There's no like, ah, he's just doing what so-and-so does. And I, I don't think Dan Campbell gets enough credit in, in Detroit. I think that's an entirely separate conversation, though. What matters is Ben Johnson, leader of men, also very smart at what he does, right? Those are the kinds of guys you have to bring in. And those are the kind of guys who I think want to clean house as soon as they get here. And not necessarily bring their own guys in, but just bring guys in who are young, hungry, eager to work, uh, all those great things. And, and I do think they'll get a blank check from Josh Harris. Of It doesn't have to happen in year one, right? I think Josh Harris was pretty clear on that Monday when he was talking with us. I would love for this to happen quickly, but I, I'd much rather it happen correctly and happen sustainably. Um, everything he said was like so anti-Harbaugh that like it's kind of funny we're still entertaining it. Um, and yet he also said, I'm flexible to talent. 
and Harbaugh's the talent. Um, and he just yeah. wins. So I, I, those are the two things I try to reconcile, right? Like you've got Harbaugh in one bucket and then everybody else in another bucket. And, you know, you can interview five defensive coaches, but if you end up hiring Ben Johnson, you didn't lean defensive coach in the end. You just lean, lean towards the best candidate you could get. Yeah. Uh, wrapping up here with Michael Phillips, uh, of course, the Washington Times and 910 a fan down in Richmond, MP on the mic, 10 a to noon daily, which you can listen to up here in DC on the free odyssey app so let's let's uh dive in the harbaugh bucket are you interested yes he's a winner he's a winner how could you not be how could you not at least kick the tires on that um my concern is if you have peters lined up um is harbaugh going to want to push him aside um or is he going to want to marginalize that side of the building the answer is potentially yes um i think that's almost certainly yes that's what he does that's what he does even if he says otherwise he's going to end up doing it anyway uh, i don't think that's a great place to start from you know you, you've had all this great positive momentum talking to football guys good, getting football guy ideas and then you go that way um you you'd have to make him the first and final hire essentially um on the other hand all the guy does is win uh, four years from now, he's going to leave. You're going to have to start over. You're going to have to reboot everything, but you probably had some pretty good years between A and B. Yeah. That's where I think I just, I go, you want to know what for this team, like should Jim Harbaugh get an NFL job? And if I was in LA, would I want Jim Harbaugh? Absolutely. Slam dunk. We're built, we're built to win now. If I'm in Atlanta, Slam. I want Jim Harbaugh. I would love that. Like I, I saw, uh, in that same ESPN piece with Graziano and Fowler, like, Belichick's considering Atlanta apparently and they're considering him and like I don't hate that fit yeah. um, he's still Bill Belichick he still knows what he's doing um, it's a matter of can they figure out quarterback there and, and whatever but here where it has been 25 years of chaos I don't know that tacking on an extra four is the right play so and they're not built to win now they're not built for anything quite frankly they need to be built and I don't know if Harbaugh's the guy like I don't know how far down the list I would I would just be willing to deal with it to know that I'm going to get a couple good years when I'm trying to build something that is more sustainable long-term, when I'm trying to find my Belichick, when I'm trying to find my Mike Tomlin, when I'm trying to find the guy that, you know, look, coaches don't last 15 years in this league. Um, that's, that's a wish and a prayer. And, you know, you get one every, every eight or so years gets hired that lasts for 10. Um, and Tomlin's done it in, in Pittsburgh. Belichick's done it in new England. Uh, I guess Harbaugh, John has done it ironically in Baltimore, but other than that, you don't, you don't get that. So trying to trying to plan for 10 years is tough. Doesn't mean you shouldn't try. And uh, Jim Harbaugh is not a 10-year plan. No, 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 no. Jim, Har Jim Harbaugh is a very near-term plan. Um, Russell Wilson, right? We're going to have that discussion with Russell Wilson at some point once the Broncos release him, right? Somebody's going to take a bite at that two-year window Apple because they can't do any better. Uh, but but yeah, to, to your point, and everything we've heard from Josh Harris is I'm in this for the long haul. That's a hire that communicates I was not actually in this for the long haul. Yeah. Russell, Russell to Atlanta with Harbaugh. How's that go? Great. As long as until it doesn't. Would it, or would they it, they would all hate each other and they would win. They would win 12 games and nobody in that building would be able to stand the, the sound of anybody else's voice. <laughs> Fans are like, that sounds awesome. I'm not in the building. Just win the games. Like, can you think of two more polar opposite personalities than Jim Harbaugh and Russell Wilson? Well, you'd start with Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, certainly. That's also actually a great point. <laughs> but yeah. I think Russ, 
Russ would be like, no, I've done this. I just give me a soft. Like if I'm Russell, I don't even care about winning right now. I just want a one year deal somewhere. That's not going to be miserable. Yeah. I Belichick and Russ is a very interesting pairing as well. Um, like a Russ, I actually think that's a better fit, a better fit for sure. But like a rest of the Titans, right. Where he can just have a soft landing, be, be decent, you know, put them in the wild card hunt, a L- low drama, low drama season for Russ, maybe exactly what's, what's in order for him. Yeah. Uh, last but not least, speaking of Tennessee, you interested in Vrabel? Uh, I, I th- again, I think you got to kick the tires on it. Um, I, I think he, he's talented enough. He relates to the players really well. Um, I don't know that he fits this mold right here. I also think it, it, this is a horrible botch by Robert Kraft if Vrabel doesn't run out of that tunnel or in the polo week one. He's just I such also- an obvious Okay. Yeah, no, I I also agree with that. And there's that report, you know, there's various reports like Belichick wants to stay or whatever. Um, with Vrabel available, the decision makes itself. You've got to make the move now, as Belichick would say, a year early, not a year late. Yeah. Oh. 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 Michael Phillips uh, <laughs> dropping that kind of knowledge uh, in your your newspaper. If you still subscribe to such things, uh, they they have a website as well, uh, writing about the Commanders for the Washington Times, and of course, nine ten the fan talking about it every day down in Richmond, which you can listen to live on the free Odyssey app or on demand on the free Odyssey app. The rewind feature is excellent anytime, anywhere. Michael, thank you, sir. We will talk to you next week, hopefully with a front office person. In the I'll look forward to it. Still to come on the Hoffman Show. All right, uh, as for more on Adam Peters, Bonte Hill from 95.7 The Game joins us next. The Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and the Odyssey app.